Hi, this is the Healthy with Holes podcast. My name is Sheree. And I'm Danny. Thank you for listening. We are the co-creators and content creators for the Instagram account at Body and Mind Adventure. Um, it's a little corner of Instagram where we follow other mental health advocacy um, accounts. Um, we post a lot of stuff that we go through throughout our day. We post a lot of inspirational quotes quotes and facts about different mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. That could range from anywhere, uh, bipolar disorder, depression, anxiety, OCD, PTSD, schizophrenia, borderline personality disorder, anything and everything we can get our hands on to learn more about and spread awareness about and just kind of connect with other people who experience different things because that's the power in community is coming together different individuals for a common goal. For sure. Definitely. So today, since it's our first episode, we're going to give you a little bit more about ourselves. Kind of probably a mix between interview style and conversation. Yeah. (laughs) Because we can't talk without having a conversation. (laughs) Which, granted, opening up conversation is how you stop stigma in the first place, so. Exactly. Do you want to start us off, Danny? Sure. Um, so... To start us off, what I really want to know, and what I'm sure everyone should know, is what got you interested in mental health as a topic of discussion in the first place? Um, why is it important to you, and what does it mean to you? Oy, um, so what got me started on mental health? Um, ever since I was a little kid, I have had nightmares. I have, my mom called me a night owl. I wasn't allowed to take naps, I wasn't allowed to do anything, because I wouldn't sleep. And... By not sleeping, I mean I would stay up till 3 in the morning, and no little kid should be up till 3 in the morning and sleeping till noon. (laughs) So, um, I've always had anxiety. Um, My mom tells me a lot lot about when I was little. I actually chased her out out of the school after she dropped me off at a morning daycare type thing, Mm -hmm. telling her I can't do this. Telling her, I don't want to be here. I can't do this. In I'm hysterics. In hysterics. I Sobbing outside of the school. Like, I I think I ducked between someone's legs. And, like, <laughs> chased my mom down Desperate. the sidewalk. And I was like, I can't do this. I'm not prepared. I can't do it anymore. And um, you'd think both of us would have been like, something is wrong. Can you guess about how old you were when that happened? It was in Missouri, so I had to have been first or second grade. Um, I didn't attend kindergarten, so okay, it was either first or second grade. I want to say first. Which is pre- pretty early on for someone to feel like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, exactly. That's some heavy stuff for a child that young to say. <laughs> to say and feel. like Yeah. I know... Um, A lot like you, which we'll get into, I did have moments where I was just sad for no reason, and my Mm -hmm. mom would tell me, stop being negative, that's why you're so sad, and all of this, which, God bless my mom, she tried her best, she didn't know anything about mental health or anything, she grew up in the stigma, like, that's the whole thing, and so... In the thick of it. Exactly, and so, when I started to grow up, I also had an interest in psychology, which we'll get into yours. (laughs) Um, From, like, third grade up until, like, to now, I want to be a therapist or a counselor. 
And it's just, I guess I went, my whole life I've gone from being incredibly happy to being terribly sad to very small variations of normal Mm -hmm. and never being able to quite pinpoint where I was. And instead of saying, this kid has a problem, we should get her help, it was, she was quirky, she's weird, she's annoying, or, you know, Mm -hmm. there's no, I was never one place on the map for very long. Yeah. And so, um, middle school came around, and of course, I identified as emo. (laughs) I listened to the dark songs, I even started self-harming. It's not a phase, mom. (laughs) Right. I even started self-harming in middle school, and of course, my mom told me it was a cry for attention, Mm. but she didn't know. No one knew. A lot of kids were probably doing it for attention. That made it hard for every other kid who was actually crying out for help Mm -hmm. to, you know, reach out. Uh, even though you shouldn't treat anyone who self-harm like they're seeking attention. You should yeah. treat it like an actual problem. Even if they are, they obvi- they need the attention. <laughs> yeah. In some form. Exactly. So I guess the whole time growing up, not knowing what was wrong with me, and then now being 23, almost 24, finally seeing a therapist and getting with a psychiatrist and having them both tell me, hey, you are bipolar type 2. And you have acute anxiety disorder and slight agoraphobia, but we'll touch on that later. Yeah. Um, I guess having a name for it really helped me come into it as a person. Mm-hmm. And instead of being completely and totally yanked around by my mental illness, I, ha- I feel like I finally have control of it. Mm-hmm. So for me, what why mental health is such a big issue and why it's one of my favorite topics to talk about is because if I can give anyone that relief of knowing, hey, I'm not alone, other people are struggling too, and it's not weird, it's not annoying, it's, you are not your mental illness. You are what the struggles of going through your mental illness has made you. Mm -hmm. And so if I can help anyone realize that, or if I can bring anyone comfort Mm -hmm. by letting them know, hey, I've done this before, then... That's why I'm in, why I'm a mental health advocate. Mm-hmm. So that's my story. <laughs> I really like your imagery of being ganked around by your mental illness because that's really what it feels like. Yeah. Most of the time, especially up until the point that someone can validate what you're going through and say, yes, this makes sense because of this cause or whatever the case may be. You're just being jerked around all over the place, all over the map, mm-hmm. like you said. And you have no idea where you're headed next, or why, or when. And just being told that you're emotional, (laughs) or you need more sleep, or something like that. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is I tried sleeping. There's times where I sleep all the time, and then there's times where I don't sleep at all. Yeah. And that can span from my hypomanic episodes to my depressive episodes. I don't sleep, or I sleep too much. It really depends on what level of depressed I am because I don't sleep when I'm hypomanic yeah but um my whole life my mom always told me I was sensitive or I was emotional or I need to react less Mm -hmm. which granted I do need to control my reactions but she didn't understand what 
why I was so reactive. Yeah. No, none of us did. So. Everyone sees the symptoms. Yeah. Absolutely. But if you're not a trained professional, it's hard how with the whole know? picture. Yeah. How are you going to know what's causing all that and how to actually treat it? Because if you just treat symptoms, they're going to come back or new ones are going to surface. Right. Exactly. So. So okay. what about you, Danny? What got you interested in mental health as a topic of discussion? Well, um, pretty much the same story, except my name's Danny. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me think. I, I've also always been, I've always been interested in psychology as a subject to study and talk about and learn more about. Um, I love sociology and psychology and studying people and why they do things they do and Criminal minds. Criminal minds. Like, <laughs> serial killers. <laughs> like, right. stuff like that. And understanding the why behind things. Um, so, it already kind of was a subject of... Because me and my mom, we watched shows like that growing up all the time. Like, Criminal Minds and stuff like that. Trying to understand psychology. So, it was already kind of a subject of discussion. But I didn't understand where it was stemming from. And I think it really stemmed from my yearning to understand myself and my own psychology. Right. And I can remember, of course, middle school is when everything gets so much worse because middle of school course. sucks for everybody. <laughs> the worst time of my life. Everybody's. I, I, I've heard that from everyone I know. Right. The worst time was middle school. But I can remember even before that, being a very young child, maybe like first or second grade, like you were saying, um... In my bedroom, and I can even picture my bedroom and my childhood bedroom in my mind's eye with my metal bunk bed and my stuffed animals and all that stuff. I can remember laying on my back on the in the middle of the floor, um, just crying and just being so overwhelmed with how sad I was. And I can remember going through a checklist trying to decide and decipher, you know, why am I sad? What happened today? I'm not in trouble with my parents. Uh, nothing happened at school. Uh... No family, beloved family pet died. You know, nothing makes sense for me to be feeling the way that I am. And that only made it worse. Right. I, I would go through periods of feeling so depressed and being like, well, there's no reason for this. So I'm just jacked up. What the heck's going on here? And feeling so out of place. But then I can also remember starting a million projects and being like, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to run for student council and I'm going to be a national honor society and I'm going to play in the orchestra and the band while I'm at it. And I'm going to sing in the band. They don't even have singers, but guess who's going to do it? <laughs> this bitch. Right. <laughs> and, um, doing all these things at once and then never finishing them. Cause all of a sudden I was depressed again. Right. And all of a sudden I was sleeping too much, but not exactly. well and having nightmares again. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I'm a straight A student again. And I'm doing above and beyond on my projects and asking for extra credit work because I just could not get enough stimulation. And then falling off and kind of dipping down in A minuses, Bs, suddenly not attending my math classes, <laughs> right. things like that. Exactly. And just this violent roller coaster back and forth since I was way too young to even understand or recognize that kind of pattern. Which, I shouldn't say that because I didn't recognize that pattern until I was well into adulthood. Um, but anyways, so that's already been, that's kind of been the pattern of my lifestyle. As long as I can remember since I was young, all the way up until now. And just finally when I became an adult. Right. And stigma still was a very huge thing in my life. But not as pressing because I could 
make my own grown-up decisions, you know, mm-hmm. uh, decided, well, I've tried all these other things. Maybe I should try therapy. So I started, you know, that course of action and doing all the things that come with that and realizing, okay, there is there is some identity that can be given to this and some kind of understanding. And that understanding kind of takes away the power it has over your life. Right. Being able to say, okay, a professional has looked at the whole picture and has is knowledgeable about this subject and told me I have bipolar disorder type 2 and all these other things, then and now I understand all the symptoms that come with it. Right. And there's a cause and it's chemical and biology and, okay, there's treatments for it and I'm not just acting a fool <laughs> and I'm not just crazy and I'm not just whatever the case, whatever you think. Um, there's a cause behind this and... Uh, giving it a name, like you said, it's it having an explanation behind it get, gives so much comfort. And if I could offer that to other people and extend a hand and explain like what I've gone through is not a unique story. Like even just knowing each other, our stories are so similar. Even though they're unique to us as individuals, they're so similar. There's community in that. Yeah. And if we can offer that type of community to other people, then that's where. That's where you can save lives. Right, exactly. So, that's why I'm super... That's why I'm a mental health advocate, is because I wish someone had reached out to me at 10 or 13 or even 20 and said, Hey, you're not alone, and this is normal. Everyone has a different version of normal, and this this is your normal, and that's okay. Right, exactly. Validate that. Yeah, exactly. Validation is so key in, in like, recovery for mental illness because Mm -hmm. if you go through life thinking you're crazy, then you are going to be crazy. You're going to drive yourself nuts. (laughs) Exactly. You're going to go insane. Yeah, definitely. for someone to tell you this is what your normal is or that there is no such thing as normal, then that helped me a lot. And Mm -hmm. I think you were the first one who ever told me, like, you don't need a reason to be sad and you don't need a reason to be happy. I learned that from my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> that was before I was going to therapy, so that helped me. Yeah. But um, for someone to tell me, hey, it's normal for you to be this way, and you don't need a reason to feel it, mm-hmm. that helped me so much, and it's continued helping me mm-hmm. to this day when I start feeling sad or I can tell that I'm going to be anxious. I don't have to have a reason. Yeah. And that in itself is comforting. Yeah, it definitely is. Because when you're happy... You don't sit around harping on it and obsessing, oh my gosh, wait a minute, what made me happy today? I need to identify a cause and a trigger for why I became happy. And that doesn't make any sense. That sounds silly. Yeah, To be exactly. like, why, why are you obsessing about why you're happy? But we do that so often with our negative emotions because we want to be able to avoid them instead of sit in them the way we sit in the positive ones. So if we can slow down and be like, I am sad and that's okay, it's okay to not be okay, then there can be some healing found in that. Right, exactly. Um, um, so we talked a little bit about how community reduces stigma and stuff, but what does stigma mean to you? What is stigma? What is stigma? Um, Loaded I, questions, it, I'm full of them. Oh, it is. <laughs> um, I guess what stigma means to me is invalidation. 
Mm. Like we talked about just a second ago, validating some the way someone feels and the way that someone is perceiving the world is so important to their recovery, to them accepting themselves, for them to accepting their mental illness, that stigma means invalidating that, to tell them that their problem isn't real, that they're not right in what they're feeling, that they're being emotional or, or sensitive or anything like that. That is what stigma means to me, which I think we see a lot of in the world. Like, um, currently we have you know, the Kavanaugh thing. Mm -hmm. And basically, we're invalidating both sides of the story. Right. One side's invalidating Kavanaugh, one side's invalidating the woman who came up against him. I'm not going to say what I'm a part of. I'm going to be impartial. But so we see it a lot in our world where people who have mental illness and people who have committed suicide and who have just the weight of the world is on their shoulders and they're telling them you're being a big baby about it. Mm. Grow a pair or or man up or whatever, you know. Mm. Deal with it like a real human being instead of take a self-care day or make sure that this that nothing you're going through is is overwhelming for you. Take care of yourself. It's more like deal with all of your life's problems now. Which, for those of us who have mental illness, that's not exactly how the world works. Yeah. Even people who don't have mental illness, that's not how their world works. Yeah. They take time out of their day. It just takes people with mental illness maybe a little bit longer mm-hmm. of a recharge time. Yeah. So stigma to me is invalidation and completely and totally misconstruing what someone is saying and not fully listening to their side of the story and... That's another thing. The debate culture has totally ruined any, not any progress, but some of the progress we've made because someone can't say how they feel about a topic or how they feel about a day without someone coming back and saying, well, blah, 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 blah. It's actually like this. It's actually like this when we all perceive the world differently. Mm -hmm. And if we could just take it, Like, okay, that's how you see the world. This is how I see the world. Yeah. You know, so invalidation is a big word I would add. I would correlate with stigma. Yeah. So that's that's what stigma is to me. I think it's also worth mentioning that um, when people are invalidated uh, through stigma, it's not always intentional. And that's another reason why it's so important to bring up the conversation and let it be an open topic of discussion Mm -hmm. because um, one of the reasons why stigma initially, there's a lot more reasons now that we can get into later, but initially was a thing for me was because it was a thing growing up unintentionally. Yes. Like, not necessarily, there were people like, oh, you're just a big baby, but there's also, um, like, growing up, I can remember talking to my parents about being depressed And bless their hearts, they did their best and did what they could with what they knew, which just wasn't enough, and that's the problem. Exactly. Because they would tell me, well, you'll grow out of it, and it's just puberty. Granted, that is a horrible time in your life. (laughs) Right. And it makes all your emotions and feelings and hormones go haywire, but it didn't go away. So I gave them the benefit of the doubt and waited, but it didn't go away. So then it was, well, wait until you graduate high school It'll get better. I promise college is going to be so much better because the environment and all these other reasons, it's going to go away. 
So I went to college and it just got worse and worse and worse until I sought some kind of treatment. So I feel like there was some stigma surrounding it in that sense that it wasn't even an option to explore maybe there's a mental health issue going on. Right. And I think not necessarily you should label everyone with any type of problem. You definitely have a mental illness, but everyone has mental health, just like they have physical health. So if there wasn't so much stigma around it, we could address those issues um, before they become bigger problems. Exactly. Then I feel like it would just, things would, you know, rainbows and butterflies. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously. Because that's obviously going to happen. No, I completely agree. And I think another thing I would um, correlate with stigma is not listening. Yeah. Not wanting to hear another person's side of the story and just completely shutting them down. Mm -hmm. Because I know a lot of the time when I've gone to work, I've tried to tell people I was recently put into inpatient, like you know, Mm -hmm. um, and I straight up went to my boss and told him, hey, I'm going to the hospital because I don't feel safe going home. Mm -hmm. And then... When I went to my therapy appointment, because I texted and got an, got an early thera- therapy appointment, and she told me to call him, and I called, and he was like, okay, well, call me tomorrow. And I had to explain to him that I wouldn't have my phone, I'd, I w- I'd have no way to contact him. I am going to be in the hospital. I am going to be in the hospital. And every, every time I would try to talk to him about my mental health or and let him know hey, I'm anxious today, I'm going to try my best. And I'm very open about my mental health, as Mm -hmm. you're aware, because I want to erase stigma around it. Um, It was like he shut me down, Mm -hmm. and he didn't want to listen to me. Which, fair, he probably is like this crazy bitch, (laughs) which is fine. But I wanted to make him aware so that we were on the same page. Right. And so I think a big part of stigma is people don't want to listen. I think, and I think that comes from them being uncomfortable, mm-hmm. which is another reason why it needs to be talked about more. Let's get comfortable talking about my shitty day at work and how depressed it made me or the fact that I didn't sleep all night or that I'm going to impatient or just that I'm a little sad. Like, whatever range of the spectrum it's on, let's just talk about that like it's a normal thing because it is. Right. Mental health is, I mean, we talk about wow, I just got diagnosed with diabetes, or man, I sprained my ankle, and we're not uncomfortable about that. It's not awkward and, like, taboo. Like, oh, you really shouldn't bring up that ankle at work. That's gonna get you weird looks. That's not a thing. Right. So we just need to get more comfortable. I know that I, a lot of the times, I cause my own stigma, I feel like, Mm -hmm. or stigma in other people reacting to me because I start the conversation awkward. Like, I'm already uncomfortable, and I kind of set the tone, and I'm like, oh, I, mm, I, yeah, I have bipolar disorder, and I make it weird, and all yeah. of a sudden, they, they probably kind of match that energy, and they're like, oh, that's bad, which sometimes they already feel that way, and they do it, and sometimes I think I kind of perpetuate it like, myself. Set the tone for the conversation. Exactly. So I think on both sides of the subject, we all just need to talk about it more and make it more of a comfortable thing to talk about because it's so important. Because if people can't talk about it, then they're silenced. And silence can be deadly. Yes, definitely. I completely agree. And one of the, one of the things, too, is people diagnosing other people based on their experience. Mm, yeah. That's another stigma. Like... 
I told a friend at work that I was diagnosed with bipolar type 2 and she was like, you can't be bipolar. My sister's bipolar and she doesn't act the way you do. And listening to her tell, she's probably bipolar type 1. And I told her, no, that's a different thing. I am this and this is what I experience. And I was like, my roommate's diagnosed as bipolar type 2 as well, but she experiences things completely different from what I do. Yeah. And she was like, no, that doesn't sound like bipolar. And I was like, okay, I'm going to trust my therapist. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So. Trust the professionals. It's a matter of listening, validating, and not trying to diagnose based on your experience. Because every experience is different. Being open-minded. Very open-minded. someone else is going through. That's what the world needs. An open mind. (laughs) Rainbows and butterflies. Rainbows and butterflies. (laughs) So do you want to expand a little more on what stigma means to you? Um, I think that pretty much covered it. Just kind of that it can be intentional and unintentional. And both can be solved by opening up a conversation and just being willing to listen, like you said. Um, a lot of it started my desire, I guess I should say, to stop stigma and kind of open the conversation started from growing up. Not knowing that that was an option was to seek treatment and things. Um, I grew up in a very uh, medically inclined household, I guess I could say. My grandma was a nurse. My sisters worked as a nurse's aide. My mom was a nurse. All of my aunts were nurses. Um, I think there's a few doctors scattered in there, too. All of them um, medical health professionals in some way. Um, And in that, in, in their education and when they were being brought up, Mental health was a very scary thing. Um, The thought of institutions and uh, cocktail slingers, which I'll get more into later, uh, stuff like that. It was a very negative thing, and it was really bad if you got diagnosed with any kind of psychiatric um, illness. And so growing up, that could not be an option and will not be accepted as an option. You're just quirky, or it is just high school and situational things which of course exacerbate things anyway but um so it wasn't an option so there was that kind of stigma associated with just being brought up in that time period in the thick of the stigma um but another reason it's almost been revamped now Mm -hmm. because I just recently was diagnosed with PTSD due to a trauma um which we'll probably get more into in another episode or something but who has the time today? <laughs> um, but I just was recently diagnosed with PTSD. And I realized that I was, I'm still guilty. I'm just as guilty as anybody else of stigmatizing other other diseases. Agreed, And yeah. things like that. Because I was appalled that I could possibly get PTSD. How could I? I'm not a soldier. I thought only people who went to war got PTSD. Surely what I went through is nothing like that. And that's so, excuse me, so invalidating of myself and other people. Right. Because that's, that is an illness that people get. Um, And it's very real and it's very, it's a big deal. And the symptoms that I experienced and the medications and the treatments I had to go through, um, just all of it, I thought it was very far away. It seemed like a very far away, like, that could never happen to me, and that's only a war disease. Right. And that's so invalidating to 
people who experience that who've never seen a battlefield. And it's still very real for them. And just as bad because everyone's experience is different. Yeah. And everyone reacts to things differently. So I realized when... Once I came to terms with the diagnosis and came to terms with what I needed to do to treat it and what had happened to me, I realized that, wow, why am I being a jack wagon? (laughs) 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 And um, this is, you know, I don't really know how to explain it other than just invalidating. Like you said, stigma invalidates people and stigma can cause you to invalidate yourself. Right. And it can prevent you from seeking the treatment you need because at first when they were telling me, you know, you have PTSD or that's what this sounds like, I was like, no, surely not. Never mind. Let's go back to what I was already dealing with and talk about that because I had already come to terms with that. Right. So I think there's so much work to be done in other people and the community, but there's also so much work to be done in ourselves. Yes. And that's why we need to open the conversation, too, and learn about other people's experiences. Like, for example, I don't have schizophrenia. Just a random example. But I would love to talk to people who do and learn more about it so that I understand it better, so that I don't assume things about them or think it's such a faraway thing that's not close to home and pretend, put it in a box and pretend it doesn't exist and it's not a problem. Because it's very real in someone's life. Oh, for sure. It's just like us dealing with our hypomanic and depressive episodes. Yeah. Well, not just like, but they deal with it. Yeah, and it's very real in our lives, and it affects our everyday to day life. Mm-hmm. And I would like to think that I could improve every day and learn more about what other people deal with so that I can validate them yes. and help to understand and open the conversation and make them also feel like they're not alone. Because what if I had talked to someone who had PTSD and had never learned anything about it and completely unintentionally invalidated them and been like, well, that seems silly. You're just some rando that doesn't fit my criteria of what that should look like. Right. And completely wreck their whole program they got going in their little psyche. Like, that's so jacked up. Exactly. And it scares me. So... (laughs) That's what stigma means to you? Yeah, that's what... Yeah. That's why I am really passionate about trying to make it smaller and smaller every day. Because it's very real in all of us. Even those of us who talk about it all the time. Like... Oh, for sure. I'm so guilty and I feel so guilty over that. Like, how could I be naive? Right. I know that... In the past, I've made jokes about being OCD or something Mm -hmm. like that, but realizing how hurtful it is, and I've also been misunderstanding PTSD until you got it, Mm -hmm. until you were diagnosed with it, and then I had to come to the conclusion that it's not how I thought. Yeah. Which I understand it on a completely different level than you do, Mm -hmm. because you're actually experiencing it, and I'm actually just watching you go through it. Right. And so I'm the loved one on the sidelines having to watch someone they care about go through the symptoms of PTSD. And so for me, it made me feel, feel for those who I may have made a comment to or made a joke about, wow, I'm having a flashback or something, Right. And so even those of us that are mental health advocates have so much to learn about other mental illnesses Mm -hmm. and that we may also be guilty of stigmatizing other mental illnesses we don't have. Yeah. So 
It's not just people who don't have mental illness. <laughs> yeah, it's all of us. We could all get a little better. Yeah, every for day. sure. Everyone has room to improve. Absolutely. But that's a good point that you brought up. <clears throat> um, making jokes about like, wow, I'm so OCD about this. Because I've definitely been guilty of that in the past, like, not recently or anything, because we try really hard not to do that. <laughs> but no. I know in the past for a fact that I've said, like, sorry, I'm just OCD when I wanted something a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's so not. That's very belittling of what OCD actually is. Because it's obsessive compulsive. Like, yeah. they have no control over it. Yeah, and thinking about it now... um, Comparing it to our own experiences, when someone says, wow, they're so bipolar, and they're... It irks me. (laughs) Yeah. They're describing someone who's acting irrational, or someone who's just uh, upset about something, and they say, wow, they're so bipolar, in such a negative, hateful way, um, it really makes me have to take some accountability for what have I said that could possibly be belittling someone or invalidating their experiences. Yeah, for sure. So there's even stigma in the um, mental health advocacy realm. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I've also seen people on Instagram talk about how they're guilty of that too. Mm -hmm. And so if we all kind of work together and try hard... Some accountability. Some accountability, then maybe we can end stigma. Mm -hmm. And, And with everything... Um, to make a change in the world, you have to make a change in yourself. Right. So if you focus on yourself and focus on what you're doing, little by little, you can change what's going on. Yeah. So I think stigma lives a little bit inside all of us. Yeah, absolutely. But we just have to work at it. Yeah. It comes down to the way you perceive the world. Like you said, everyone perceives the world differently. And how I understand something is different than you do, different than someone else does. And if we can just be more open-minded to new understandings, then that's where change happens. Right, exactly. I think we got off topic. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about stigma. Totally, that's what we're talking about. It's fine. Um, But speaking about that community and um, what you've seen on there and stuff, why do you choose an Instagram community as your outlet for mental advocacy? Well, funny story about that, which you know. Oh, do tell. (laughs) Shortly after um, what happened just a few months ago, Mm -hmm. um, we were, you were driving me around town late at night, like we do sometimes, (laughs) to play Pokemon Go. Hoodlums. Hoodlums. (laughs) And we were walking along the river and we sat down and we were talking about body image. Mm -hmm. And how we wanted to get healthy and everything. And I was like, Instagram. We have to make an Instagram. That'll keep us accountable. That'll, you know, do that for us. And instead of posting about about physical health, we did a couple times. Yeah. It turned into, I think one of us was having a bad day. Mm -hmm. And we ended up posting about the bad day we had. And then the other one posted about the bad day they had. And then Mm -hmm. it became a community. As soon as we posted that, we had people following us and talking about mental health. And then we were like, there's an opportunity here. Yeah. And I think Instagram has made us better. I agree. Better people because we follow all kinds of accounts on there. We follow eating disorder accounts. We follow BPD accounts, borderline personality disorder. We follow... 
um, schizophrenia accounts. We follow major depressive accounts. We follow all kinds of accounts on there. And already I have a wealth of knowledge than I did before, and I barely know anything about those illnesses. Right. So I we've ha- ended up having a bunch of people follow us. And for me, there was community in it. And we mm-hmm. decided, okay, this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. This is, we are mental health advocates now because... Just seeing the sheer number of people on Instagram, just Instagram, Mm -hmm. suffering from mental illness and doing something with it. Right. I felt, personally, I felt, this is a community I want to be a part of. And this is a a cause that I can get behind. Absolutely. Because I've suffered from stigma. I've suffered from mental illness. I, I struggle daily with myself. It feels like I'm fighting against myself some days. And so, for me, Instagram was the perfect place. And I've gotten so much support from it. We've made a great friend on mm-hmm. there that we need to check on. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I guess that's why I chose Instagram. It was it was almost like uh, Instagram chose me. Right. That's very uh, cliche. <laughs> but after we both posted about bad days, it just kind of yeah fell down from there. Yeah, absolutely. And it's still, like, we created it for some physical health accountability, but it still offers that accountability mm-hmm. because um, there's some, there's a little bit of pressure when you're writing a post to not be triggering necessarily and to not be a negative Nancy and, like, put more negative out into an already difficult world. Yes. And try to be, like, an outlet. Sensor. Yeah. I think Danny and I both have an unspoken rule when we post to our Instagram. It's going to end positive. Yeah. No matter how bad the day was, no matter what's going on or how raw we are about what we're going through, because we're pretty honest. Like, we've posted about going to the hospital and we've posted about self-harming and about depression and all these things um, that we end on a positive note in some way, like, but tomorrow's a new day, or but anything. There's always a but, no matter how negative it is. Mm-hmm. And that kind of retrains your brain to, to do that, that off of Instagram, too. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we know we should land on a positive note for others as well as ourselves, yeah. I think, anyway. I think we've even done that. I know that it's affected us because we used to, Danny and I call it spiraling, We used to spiral together. Yeah. But I've also found recently that we don't do that as much. Mm -hmm. Sure, we get depressed, but we always end up encouraging each other Mm -hmm. and lifting each other up instead. Because I don't know about you, I get a mom override when it comes to you, (laughs) that when you're depressed, I kind of put mine aside and I'm like, listen, you're amazing and you're great and you're going to do great things in life. And then later on, I can deal with my own depression, Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. It does, because I've got the same mom override, and when something's going on, i got to, you know, step up and kind of help lead the pack, however small that pack may be, if it's just (laughs) you or if it's me and you and Gabe or whatever the case is, um, I do the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, why do you choose Instagram? Um... Same story, except my name's Danny. <laughs> oh, that joke will never get old. I'm so corny. Uh, um, I just... It happened... It was a happy little accident. And 
I like the accountability. And like I said, there is some pressure in making those posts um, a certain way. And I like that pressure because it keeps us accountable um, in an outward sense and an inward sense because I can feel like, okay, I'm putting some more positive into a negative world. Mm -hmm. And I'm putting um, maybe a little bit of light into a dark place. Um, And there's accountability in that. And it makes, it retrains my own brain to when I'm in a dark place, try to shine a little bit of light and look for the positives and look for reasons to be grateful and things like that. Um, And the sense of community is just amazing. Yes. It's almost overwhelming. It just, sometimes I just want to cry. When I see the stuff (laughs) on our Instagram, people commenting, encouraging things, or people, my favorite thing in the whole wide world, and I hope this doesn't sound like, oh, look at me, but my favorite thing is when someone messages us with some kind of question or seeking advice or seeking a listening ear or even just telling us how their day went and updating us on their lives. For sure. Like, being allowed into someone's life like that is so humbling. It definitely is. so overwhelming. And how could some random person on the internet states away or countries away on the other side of the world um, get connected to, to little old me here in... BFE, and (laughs) care about each other's lives and what happened that day, and be able to relate to each other and be able to open up the conversation on such a hot-button topic and such a taboo subject sometimes. It's just awe-inspiring, and it's really humbling, and I'm just floored by how large the community has gotten so fast. I don't know how big Instagram accounts usually get in a span of time. But I feel overwhelmed by how many people we can talk to and engage with. For sure, definitely. And, like, on we're, uh, Suicide Prevention Month, mm-hmm. that was insane. Mm-hmm. Just the overwhelming amount of support and the overwhelming amount of love and everything that Instagram had throughout the entire time, the entire month. Yeah, constant. It was amazing. And we're actually coming up on World Mental Health Day, October 10th. Mm-hmm. So I just am looking forward to that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that because it's so humbling to read someone's testimony or yeah. story. And seeing what they've gone through and learning what their experience with mental health has been like. Yeah. That's part of the reason why I've stuck with Instagram. Yeah. It's given us uh, something to be something consistent in our day. We always check our Instagram. We go check what people have posted and comment on their stuff and engage with um, people I'd like to call friends now um, and family. Uh, engage with their stuff. It's it's the first thing I check in the morning when I wake up. So what's what's hopping on Instagram today? You know what's what fire posts do these people have and yes. insight and inspirational thing and. Um, what can I add to this? Yes. How can I be co- contribute to this beacon of hope in our <laughs> corner of the world? So Right, exactly. Instagram's a good place for mental health. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, we've talked about our parents growing up, and we've talked about us as little kids, and we've talked about... Um, people we've come in contact a little bit and how we've discussed mental health with them. But say you met someone that's never been a part of the discussion around mental health. They've never talked about depression. They've never 
really heard much about it. Like, think us as little kids before we knew anything about it. What would you say to someone who had never been exposed to that at all? Okay. Um, us as little kids experiencing the stuff, but never having any knowledge? Yeah. Okay. Um, I think I would tell them, go to therapy. Mm -hmm. Don't look down on professional help. Um, I would tell them, what you're going through isn't weird. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not as lonely as you think it is. And Mm -hmm. to seek out help. Mm -hmm. Don't expect it to come to you. Yeah. And I think, I think that might be a hard question. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, I think you bring up a good point, though, about being proactive about your health. Go seek it out. Don't expect it to come to you. Yeah. Because it'd be so nice to think that it would be that simple, but it isn't always. Especially if you grew up in a family that doesn't know anything about mental health or a family who um, thinks it's bad and things like that. You really have to be proactive about taking care of yourself, whatever that means for you, not what people expect. Exactly. And I think I would also tell them, you know, journal. Yeah. Write it down. Give it tangible. Give it a tangible thing. You know, uh, I wish I would have journaled all those years so that I could go back and look at how I was feeling and see how it correlated because first of all journaling in the first place is amazing Mm -hmm. and I think I would tell them you know talk to your friends talk to your family let them know what's going on with you Mm -hmm. they may not receive it well but as long as you're true like cliche true to yourself and very aware with what's happening to you Mm -hmm. you're in the right yeah don't come off rude or anything or whatever just tell them I have to do that with people around me all the time and just be like I'm not feeling it today mm-hmm. I'm I was really anxious last night I didn't sleep or yeah you know just let people know what's going on with you and Honest. open up the conversation because I think if you start um just doing it confidently people expect it mm-hmm. people and then people tell you oh well you didn't sleep today? Okay, well, don't worry. I'll, like, at work, I have a friend who goes, are you anxious or blah, blah, blah? And I'll be like, yeah, I'm not feeling too hot today. Well, don't worry about it. I'll watch the registers mm-hmm. or something. And they'll let me just go off by myself. And that's because I made that, that place know, hey, I have anxiety. I just got diagnosed with bipolar 2 and all of this. Mm-hmm. And so people just... They know it's real for me. So be honest. Be completely honest with what's going on inside of you. Because that's the only way we're going to be able to end the stigma. Mm -hmm. And keep people from romanticizing mental illness. Mm -hmm. Because there's nothing romantic about it. Right. Exactly. Well, that's all the specific questions that I have. Um, I know. Oops. You've got a couple, but... All right. Danny. Oh, hello. Hello. <laughs> Let's move into what your experience with mental health professionals has been. <sighs> well, um, I guess technically my first experience with anyone in that kind of vein of 
being a professional would be like counselors in school. And I got sent to a counselor once against my will in high school uh, because of a poem I wrote in a spoken word poetry, a poetry slam. Um, So this spoken word piece was concerning to some adults, which being an adult now, I completely understand. And I would have also (laughs) been concerned, (laughs) but um, I got sent to a counselor and I showed up in there. And I was a little manipulative, I have to admit. And I was like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Nothing is wrong. Goodbye. And they were like, oh, okay. And they just let me go on my way. Um, I was not fine. Everything was not fine and nothing was fine. So there should have, I feel like it was a little dismissive, but that's what I wanted at the time. So it's hard to look back on that and think about it going a different way. Um, but that was also in back in high school and back before I knew anything about mental health or what was going on with me and wanted help. Later on when I became an adult and I decided that it's not just going to go away. It hasn't gotten better after all these milestones that were promised to get better. Um, and nothing I've tried is working up to this point. So I either need to give up or try something new. So thankfully (laughs) I decided to try something new and I... I had a friend at work who went to therapy and she kind of opened the conversation. Um, She was very open about her mental health and about the fact that she went to therapy and that she was, she took medications to manage her illness and things like that. She was very open and honest and it wasn't a taboo thing for her and it wasn't a negative thing about her life. It was just another thing about her life. So her opening up like that made me realize, okay, wait a minute. Maybe there's not something horribly wrong with me. And if there is, I'm not the only one. So she told me something about going to therapy. And so I thought, well, maybe that's what I should try. She seems all healthy and whole. (laughs) So um, I tried going to therapy. Uh, We live in a really small town. And the resources are scarce. Yes. So I went to the most well-known mental health clinic we have almost the only one and um it was awful (laughs) it was so awful I went there and they did a quick assessment of me and it was very vague and very uh I don't know it was very checkboxy which you kind of have to be at first because you don't know the patient for sure so it makes sense but it was very um impersonal and uncomfortable and um just kind of cold I guess so it was a little off-putting and I was already nervous and a wreck and didn't want to go anyway and I was keeping it a secret from everybody my friends didn't know I was going to therapy my family didn't know um and it was this big taboo secret so I was already uncomfortable and and had made it that way on my own um and it was just so much worse when I got there and when I finally started seeing I saw a therapist once after the initial intake and she saw me for like 10 minutes, gave me a list of diagnoses and a list of medications that I really? should try. Yeah. She, but I also, uh, there's a lot to that story, but um, it just, it didn't feel right. And I couldn't put my finger on why other than I was uncomfortable. So thank goodness. I don't know what or wh- how I, in my newly found independence, I was able to advocate for myself or recognize this. 
But I realized I was uncomfortable and I took action and changed it. And I didn't just go with the motions because professional help is so important and yeah. so necessary to recovery. But if it's not right for you, if what you're doing isn't right for you, change it. And I think a lot of people don't do that. And they just take what their first experience was and kind of blanket judge all the experiences that could be had. So thankfully, I talked to that friend that I worked with and found out who she was seeing as a therapist. And I went and saw him. And I've been seeing him now for two and a half years. Um, He's amazing (laughs) and has helped me with so much and has helped me just... I've learned so much from him and from the work we've done and stuff and the work that I've put into it, and it was a completely different experience. We talked and got to know each other for a while. He told me about himself until I was comfortable, and then I told him a little bit about myself, and it wasn't for maybe three or four months before he gave me what he thought my diagnosis was, and even then, he referred me to a... He was a therapist, a clinical social worker, a licensed clinical social worker, He referred me to a psychiatrist, uh, someone who prescribes and looks at the chemistry of it more than behavior. Um, He referred me to a psychiatrist that he trusts, and I got with him, and they were able to collaborate on what they thought my diagnosis was from two different perspectives and vantage points, so it was a more clear whole picture. Mm -hmm. So that um, overall encompassing health uh, perspective is so much healthier than a quick 10-minute, you have this goodbye. (laughs) Right. So, and I still see, I've been seeing that psychiatrist for two and a half years, and he's who prescribes for me and has been since then. And um, seeing him, he also was a completely different experience because uh, he's not what I would call a cocktail slinger. Uh, Cocktail slingers, I think, are doctors who throw meds at the situation and then turn a blind eye. And yes. say, okay, this is going to fix all your problems. Goodbye. Here's your bill. Um, <clears throat> he, you see the same person, so you know. I do but see the same person. for the sake of conversation and those who don't, um, he will, he'll listen to your whole story. He'll ask lots and lots of questions. He asks about how your day was, about how your family situation is, what, how are things going at home, how are things going at work, um, and gets a kind of whole picture and then thinks for a little bit and writes mm-hmm. stuff down and does some research and then says, okay, this is the medication I think is going to work for you. Here's why. And he gives a big, long description and um, explanation about the medication and what it's supposed to do. For sure. He talks about side effects. He talks about what to expect. He asks multiple times through the whole thing, do you have any questions, to make sure everyone's on the same page. And then he'll see you again in a month or two ask how things are going and adjust as needed and he'll and he has even said he typically tries to do one medication at a time or just a couple or only make a few changes at a time so he can identify what works best yes instead of giving you a whole cup of medications and hoping and just kind of casting them to the wind and throwing them at it um so I gotta say I think I'm pretty lucky in my experience with mental health professionals and it's just been fortunate circumstances of knowing the right people because I know that's not the case for a lot of people. They don't have the right resources. They're not in a good area with mental health professionals or they don't know where to go. And that's right. another reason. That's another thing I think needs to be addressed in our society 
and I think could be improved by stopping stigma. Um, I think people would be more likely to go to professionals, and I think maybe even more people would become professionals. And the bar would be raised. Yeah. For professionals, for sure. Um, I know, for me, my first experience with a therapist was a doctor. Mm Mm-hmm. And... They didn't know shit about shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, to put it frankly. To be very frank, they did not. And so after that, I was like, well, if that's what a therapist is going to be like, I don't want to do that. Right. And my mom had always told me, you don't need a therapist. You don't need a therapist. You don't need a therapist. And so for me, it was like watching you Mm -hmm. get better and even in the times where you thought I'm not getting better what's my why am I working this program Mm -hmm. and everything um it was really amazing to see the changes you were going through and then I had asked for the number for your therapist but never called because I was too scared of what my mom would think what people would think Mm -hmm. until work started happening and I ended up getting sent home on medical leave once Mm -hmm. and after a really bad panic attack and not being able to get out of bed and everything, I was told, hey, you need to find a therapist. You need to be proactive by my job. So I was like, I'm going to lose my job. I have to find a therapist. Yeah. And you actually talked to the receptionist and she, you, gave, you got me new patient paperwork and everything. And I don't see the same therapist as you. I see a different one and she is amazing. Mm -hmm. She's exactly what I need. And, um, for me, it was more like two to three weeks of talking before she gave me a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. But she had told me before, she's like, you seem a little bipolar Mm -hmm. from what you've said and what your past experiences have been. I feel like you're bipolar. You were also a lot more self-aware and open and honest than I was. <laughs> very true. I so you got to honest. go a lot faster. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, like, two or three weeks go by and she go, she's all, I'm 99.9% sure you are bipolar type 2. Right. And I was like, okay, does anxiety have that? And she said, there's anxious triggers. And I think you will have a separate anxiety disorder. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. Because I've always... Anxiety has always been a problem for me. Mm-hmm. I may or may not... I guess the episodes of being depressed and hypomanic had just kind of blurred together. Mm-hmm. Because for me, that was a normal. Yeah. And that was my normal. And so I was... I, I of course, kept track of, man, I'm really happy and I'm going to go do irrational things and spend all my money and (laughs) then be depressed and suicidal. Mm -hmm. And so I kept track of that. I just, for me, I thought I had major depression. Mm -hmm. I didn't think I was bipolar until she was like, no, you're having hypomanic episodes and blah, blah, blah. And so now about, it's probably about like, I started seeing her in April about five months later, she told me, I'm positive you have bipolar two, type 2 and all this. Um, currently, I am on medical leave, and she's been absolutely fantastic through this whole thing. Um, but I see the same psychiatrist as you, and for me, he was very 
understanding because I had just gotten out of inpatient. Mm-hmm. And, like, literally the day after. <laughs> I forgot you didn't see him until after that. He calls me, the office calls me and tells me I have an appointment. And I've been trying to get into this guy for months. Mm-hmm. Since May. And about a month ago I was in inpatient. So... When I got that call, I was over the moon excited and glad I didn't have to go to the other behavioral psychiatrist place. Yeah. <laughs> we don't talk about them. We don't talk about them. <laughs> um, so when I went in, they were really nice and really kind. And just his whole staff was very sweet and very yes. understanding. And especially after the rough time I had in inpatient We'll call him Dr. Quack. Yes. Um, he wanted to pray the sad away. And we should he have didn't... a whole episode talking about our experience in inpatient. Oh, for sure. <laughs> he was the first psychiatrist I ever dealt with, though. Oh, yeah. And he wanted to pray the sad away. And he told me that I had PTSD, which I don't agree with. Mm-hmm. I need to talk to my therapist more about. <laughs> yeah. But he told me I had PTSD. He told me I had demons attached to me. Yeah. And he was a psycho and he tried to give me antidepressants, which I've been on antidepressants from a normal doctor and they made me either really sad or really hypomanic. My therapist told me I should not take antidepressants in there and tell them I'm bipolar. Mm-hmm. And the only reason he gave, he started giving me Abilify was because he said it was half antidepressant and half antipsychotic. It's a mood stabilizer. <laughs> so I was like, cool. I don't care. It's what I was told to take. Yeah. <laughs> um, not told to take, but was told to tell I don't need antidepressants. Yeah. Um, so when I went to my my new psychiatrist's office, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. They were so kind and so nice. And the fact that when he sat down and started asking me, so how are you? You've been an inpatient recently. How was that? And even he was like, that's a terrible place to go. <laughs> Next time you go somewhere else. We also don't talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> we also don't talk about them. And then he started explaining to me what the medication I was already on was. Mm-hmm. He explained what Abilify was and what it did to me. And he also told me since I have a high, ri- high risk of diabetes in my family, he wanted to take me off. And then he was going to put me on Lamictal. And this is what Lamictal does. And this is how it's going to affect bipolar. And then he went in depth And started to explain what bipolar was. Yeah. So I was just in the know about everything that was going on. Mm -hmm. And so it was the best experience I've ever had with a doctor, period. Yeah. And so for me, mental health, my experience with mental health professionals has been, except for one. (laughs) The good, the bad, and the ugly. Luckily, we're both pretty much in the good now. For sure. So, I think that might be all the time we have. Okay. So, this has been Healthy With Holes with Sheree. And I'm Danny. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Have a conversation. Bye.